Nate, Nate, they're here. They're all here. Come on, let's go. What are here? The ships, the new ships. Okay, I'm kind of in the middle of something. No, we've got to go now. That new ship smell does not last forever. You realize that's just the stink of the pilots that brought him in, right? No, it's the new ship smell that, you know, like when you, you go to the shipyard and they, they always smell. <sighs> ah, so good. I can't wait because right now all I'm smelling is Tabana gas. Oh, sorry, sorry. That was lunch. Enjoy your stay, Cloud City Casino. What have we here? I suggest a new strategy. You truly belong here with us, Fucking Cloud. Don't get excited! Welcome, scoundrels, to an all-new episode of Cloud City Casino. We, of course, are your destination for Star Wars and gaming. And I am your host, Michael Morris... And with me, of course, is the guy who actually does all the work, Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. <laughs> How completely untrue that is. <laughs> That's, uh, are you kidding? I'm, the podcast I'm involved with now I'm involved with because I don't have to be the one editing. I can actually have time to record and just sit back and let others do the work. That's the glory of being in this for so long. I don't know. You're the one who kind of keeps up with all the information and keeps stuff on track and everything. I consider that to be the work. Oh, well, that's just because I'm anal retentive. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Better than being whatever I am. I think Whatever not- whatever the opposite is of, uh, of anal retention, which I guess is some form of diarrhea. <laughs> which is funny to mention, which is kind of sad, because I just got... Uh, this has been an interesting couple of weeks of new acquisitions i got a new uh, box set of dvd star wars dvds i didn't know existed from 2004 um to feature on from the star wars home video library on youtube and everything i got uh, uh some spanish language mexican copies of the films that were sent to me by a buddy and i finally acquired a a vhs that came with cheese spread or was a cheese spread mail away in the uk from an old ewoks episode but the name of it is Dairy Lee, and every time I look at the brand name, I swear it says diarrhea when I first glance at it. It's like it morphs after I see it into what it actually is. But my first glance always makes me think that I'm looking at a tape that says Ewoks, diarrhea. And since it's from season two, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> wow. You know, I haven't seen the Ewoks show in so long, I, I can't defend it. But I, I did watch it when I was a kid and, and liked it then. But then again, I was a kid, so who knows what, yeah. you know. My, uh, my opinions weren't very uh, valid at that point. It's like, uh, it's like the holiday special, right? I mean, droids may, may have some of its own merits. So, yes, we want droids all on home video because it's droids. Ewoks and the holiday special, it's like you want it on home video, but you know how bad it is. So it's more like we want it on home video so that we feel complete, less because we actually want to see that garbage. Ooh, reminds me of Catch the Ewok Pilot. Yub yub, Commander, and all that. Uh, see, there's your transition for you. Yes. No? No? Okay. No, so, yeah. So we got a new wave of ships for X-Wing that we hinted at a little bit in the last episode, and now we have a chance to actually look at. Uh, this wave includes the TIE SF, uh, also known as the Special Forces First Order TIE Fighter. It includes the ARC-170. It includes the Protectorate Starfighter, which is from Rebels. And it includes the much, 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 much larger Shadowcaster vessel. 
or gives us a chance to take a look at those. Uh, and I guess we'll also get a little bit into the whole Rogue Friday thing uh, since you took part in that this time around. So where do you want to go first with X-Wing? Uh, so do you want to jump into the, let's see, let's go with the ARC-170. All right. The ARC-170, for me, I found it very interesting the way that they approach this. And I think I mentioned this in our last episode, that what you've got is basically it's a ship from the Clone Wars. But because the primary era of X-Wing and all the Fantasy Flight game stuff really tends to be around the original trilogy, and now they're delving a little bit into the sequel trilogy era, that kind of leaves the Clone Wars and the prequel era out. Um, so what they've done is basically said this is an ARC-170 that's been refit – uh, and salvage basically by the rebels for use with the rebel alliance so it's not actually a clone wars era fighter but they've given us four pilots and the pilots and how interesting they are a lot of times is what really gets my attention because i love the legends and canon aspects of the characters even though it makes for some confusing continuity for them to be in the same game uh, we have thane kyrell from lost stars we have a uh, which of course is a counterpoint to sienna reappearing soon in uh, armada you can hear our episode on Lost Stars of Star Wars Beyond the Films coming up very soon, uh, if not already. We just recorded that. We have Braylon Stram, who is from some of the actual first new story group canon stories that were released before they actually said they were new story group canon stories. The Blade Squadron stories from Insider. We have Shara Bay from Shattered Empire. And we have Nora Wexley, who appears in Aftermath and Life Debt as one of the main protagonists of those stories. So... From a, a standpoint of pilots, I find it interesting that they gave us all pilots that are from the new canon in some way or another. Um, and there isn't a single generic pilot among them, which is very unusual for X-Wing. Yeah, well, and, and even further, you know, it's interesting to me that it's these are definitely pilots that we know from the, the new canon uh, but we can specifically point to uh, a ship that they piloted, and none of them were the ARC-170. <laughs> yeah, the ARC-170, I don't think, has come back in this era in anything but this game now. Right, right. Which, I mean, I I've got to say, it's great. I'm glad that they they did this. Um, you know, because a lot of people are saying, like, oh, it's the Clone Wars airship. I'm like, well, the technically the... Uh, the Y-Wing is a Clone Wars era ship, and so is the um, the Headhunter. So we oh, we and now and now you've got a perfect way of connecting that because they just had a, Re a Rebels episode, the season premiere, that just showed Clone Wars era Y-Wings being taken, and they're the ones that are going to show up in A New Hope. So that argument just got way stronger. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it's it's funny to me that we've got uh, Braylon, who's actually a B-Wing pilot. Uh, Thane, who's an X-Wing pilot, uh, you know, Shara Bay, did I pronounce her name right? Yeah, it's it's Poe Dameron's mama. Right, right, who was an A-Wing pilot, and then Nora, who was a Y-Wing pilot. Uh, there was a lot of people who were speculating that these cards would be reversible, and that you would be able to use them with their proper ships, but, and, you know. Whatever. By that, you mean something where they'd have, kind of like a couple of the upgrade cards, where you'd have one side with information for one ship and then you flip it over and instead of a rebel symbol you would have information for another right interesting i i don't even consider that it seems it's 
uh, it's such a weird thing to see. I still find it weird looking at the the cards for the larger ships where you get the regular side and the damaged side. That still is just odd to me. Of all the <laughs> card games I've played or any miniatures games with cards, um, having ones that are reversible still feels so odd that it never enters my frame of reference. But that is a really cool idea. Kind of wish they had done it. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I don't know. There's always, I mean, that's the thing. There's always time. You know, a, a lot of people would like to see even Corrin uh, Horn actually piloting an X-Wing instead of an E-Wing, but that's, right. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because, you know, the reason why in most card games um, you have one side has an image and the other side has your information is because there's an aspect of keeping things unrevealed until it's either drawn from your hand where you see it or it's pulled out to be played within the game itself for everybody to see. So the back axis sort of of camouflage so that we don't know what the card actually is. That's why there's such a big deal with marked cards in things like poker. But in this game, I can't recall any instances in which you would ever have a card face down that would then need to be revealed to the other player. So in theory, they could make use of the back of these without any kind of, of impact on the gameplay, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just kind of funny to me. And they just were like, wait a minute, I didn't realize we have all this real estate on the back. We could have been using this from the beginning. Oh, crap. <laughs> Imagine that's how t-shirt makers felt <laughs> at one point. They're like, dude, we can put stuff on the back, too. <laughs> I hear you. Um, so this one, for what it's worth, since we are doing a little bit of a deeper dive, did come with, uh, basically, you had uh, nine upgrade cards this time around to go with your four ship cards. We had Adrenaline Rush, Recon Specialist, Tail Gunner, uh, two R3 Astromechs, Seismic Torpedo as opposed to Charge, two Vectored Thrusters, and Alliance Overhaul. Um, anything in particular stand out amongst these that we want to get into? Not really to me, but maybe to you? Not, not off the bat. Uh, let me try and read this Alliance Overhaul real quick. It's the... Um the title card, right? Right. It says, when attacking with a primary weapon from your primary firing arc, because this does has an, have uh, an auxiliary arc, uh, you may roll one additional attack die. When attacking from your auxiliary firing arc, you may change one of your focus results to a hit result. So basically, um, it's providing benefits regardless of which firing arc you're using on the ship, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I actually really like that. Uh because that, that's the big thing about the ship, just doing a quick rundown. Um, it only uses two attack die, which is pretty weak. Uh, only one evade, which also not great. It does have six hull, which is pretty good. And then uh, three shields. So um, it can take a few hits, but you will definitely be taking them with such a low evade. And then, um, you know, it's not really putting a whole lot of damage out there. But... Being able to roll the extra attack die or, you know, from the backfiring arc, you know, get the automatic, um, you know, the automatic focus. Because when you're throwing two, you're probably not going to roll two, uh, we call them eyeballs, but the, the two focus symbols um, on the die. So that's pretty cool to, to essentially just get, like, the automatic uh, focus. Yeah, and I do like among the ship cards... Um, there's, again, so the, the idea of these people are known as either squadron leaders or working very closely with people as other pilots who they have some kind of emotional connection with. Mm -hmm. So you've got Sherabay, 
When another friendly ship at range 1 to 2 is attacking, you can treat or it may treat your blue target lock token as its own. So essentially she can help coordinate fire. And then you got Thane, where after an enemy ship inside your firing arc at range 1 to 3 attacks another friendly ship, you may perform a free action. So in essence, he sees them in trouble and is able to try to do something about it. Uh, I like the thematic nature of these, particularly given that these are characters that people know. I mean, these aren't, we're going to pull somebody who happened to fly this ship in one little RPG scenario years ago because we just need another pilot. Right. These are well-known <laughs> characters, and they did manage to keep it nice and uh, and thematic, though. I do like that. Yeah, I mean, definitely cool. Uh, I guess the, the other thing I want to bring up real quick, too, that uh, is big for not just this one. In fact, it's I feel like this this isn't even really for this ship, but I could be wrong. Uh, it's the modification, which is the vectored thrusters, and it's small ship only. Uh, your action bar gains the barrel roll icon. Now that mm -hmm. one, that's a card that people have been wanting for a while for the X wing. Well, now they can use it because it's small ship only. It has no distinction between types of ships. Right. So that, like I said, that's that's a big one that a lot of people have wanted because uh, you know most people said the uh, the X wing is supposed to be a dogfighter and not having barrel roll really makes it not a, a dogfighter. So um, that's you know just something for that. It's uh, it's not a huge thing, but uh, especially doesn't really you know it's whatever for this one. But um, another thing too wanted to go over was the action bar. Oh, that wiki. Um, another thing, too, I wanted to go over was that action bar, which is, uh, of course, it has the, the pilot, or the elite pilot talent, at least on Nora. I'm not sure if all the other ones have that, but uh, also has the, the torpedo slot, a crew slot, and a... Um, uh, astromech. Astromech. R2. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, the To answer, the elite pilot is on Nora and on Shara, but not on Braylon or Thane. Okay. Otherwise, it's the same action bar. Okay. You'd think Thane would get one just by his... Uh, from or his upgrade bar. Right. Yeah, you'd think that Thane would... You'd think that Strom would get one. He's the leader of his squadron, but nope. <laughs> well, may maybe now that he has gone on to other things and Gina Moonsong is actually leading Blade Squadron, they were like, screw it, you don't get it. And wow, that's exactly what it sounded like. That's exactly what it sounded like when Braylon <laughs> Stram uh, was, was promoted and didn't get to lead the squadron anymore. It sounded exactly like those two idiot cats beating the crap out of him. <laughs> that's great. Great little sound effect. Don't even have to I, use a soundboard. I couldn't have timed that better if I had picked up the kitten and thrown her at the other cat. <laughs> Which you may or may not have done since it's an audio. Never mind. <laughs> that's, that's true, but untrue at the same time. So um, the, the other thing I find interesting about this wave, or one of the other things, is that it does give us, and it, usually when there's four, it's going to be unbalanced in one way or another. We've got one ship for the Rebels, one ship for the Empire, or in this case for the First Order, and then we've got two for Scum and Villainy. So it is leaning towards Scum and Villainy. Um, the other single ship for a faction would be the tie sf or the special forces tie mm -hmm. uh, i kind of expected this to be and we can talk about the models here in a minute but i kind of expected the model the miniature um to be just basically repainted from the regular tie uh kind of like what the first order regular tie was versus the regular tie but uh, it does appear to be a different model because it's got all the little 
teeny, teeny, tiny weapon bits and stuff stuck on the top of it. Um, so kudos to them for that. Um, but this one is, if, if the ARC-170 was awesome because of its choice of pilots, the Special Forces tie is the exact opposite because of its choice of pilots. Our <laughs> ship cards are the generic Omega Specialist and Zeta Specialist, neither of which have any actual game text. It's just all flavor text, basically, uh, lore. And then two named pilots, whom we've never met, as far as I know, anywhere. So they just pulled these names out of their butts. And um, we have Quick Draw. I- I'm assuming that the pilot's real name is McGraw. <laughs> and then we have um, the one that assumes that in seeing the the image and the fact that the image of the ship has like this these orange and yellow things behind it, like a nebula or a sun, almost as if there is a fire. Um, we have a reference back to the uh, Kurt Russell film, the pilot named Backdraft, which either is about fire or it's about, uh, again, uh, sorry, I had a bad lunch in the Tabana gas and all. <laughs> so it made for an interesting counterpoint that you've got this one really heavy on canon slash lore ship. And then now we've got this one that's just like, screw it, we don't have any names, just make some stuff up. Um for the SF tie, which comes with uh, upgrade card wise, wired collision detector, two sensor clusters, and special ops training. Well, I think um, the thing is with Quick Draw, when uh, he blows up, he's actually one of those reversible cards we were talking about, and you flip it over and you reinsert the ship into the game as El Kabong. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, uh, I don't know. I think Quickdraw is like a he's he's the reflexive. I just got attacked, so I'm going to strike back. I'm in the process right now. I've got about a hundred pages left of reading Ron Chernow's uh, biography of Alexander Hamilton, and this you could almost say that this pilot is Hamilton. Hamilton's thing was if he gets attacked, the dude just could not let stuff go. He would just drown you in words and tear you to pieces if he thought that you would just impunish his honor in any way. Um, and this guy has once per round when you lose a shield token, you may perform a primary weapon attack. So, oh, oh, hell no! You get shot, you blast back. So Quick Draw at least has an amusing uh, aspect to his ability, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and then the uh, special ops training helps too, giving you the... Uh the extra die out your front arc. Um. And if you mm-hmm. don't use the extra die, right, then you can perform an additional attack from your auxiliary firing arc. So either way, he's getting um, a boost to his attack. He's either going to get an extra powerful primary attack, theoretically, or he'll have a primary attack and an auxiliary attack that can be used. Right. Right. Assuming he's actually using the special ops training title, that's actually an upgrade you'd have to uh, purchase, but it's purchased for zero. So, so if you're not, not flying right. these with that, then what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Why aren't, why aren't you using the one that goes with the ship, man? Right. Uh, and and for anyone who may be thinking like, oh, well, why you know why is that the case? Like, why would you not just make that a part of the ship? Um, a lot of that basically is because it uses up your your title slot, so you can't use something else if they come out with it down the line. Right, yeah, they don't want to get you too fancy. You know, right. there still needs to be some balance between the ships, otherwise, uh, wow, otherwise yeah. it becomes a mess and feels like Battlefront at times. Um, <laughs> I was going to say a Wizards of the Coast game, but... Or that too, or Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. Um, 
so that one pretty decent. I didn't actually see much aside from special ops training that really stood out to me amongst the upgrade cards this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that brings us then to, we've got two other ships in this wave, one of which is another small one, one of which is large. Um, the small one is the Protectorate Starfighter. And if you're not familiar with the Protectorate Starfighter, it's the one that's basically the Mandalorian ship for the Protectors of Concord Dawn in the Rebels episode, Protector of Concord Dawn. So we've got Old Tarok as a pilot. We have Cad Solis as a pilot. We have the much more recognizable Finn Rao from that episode as a pilot. And then we have three generics, Concord Dawn Veteran, Concord Dawn Ace, and Zealous Recruit. Um, found it interesting that of all the ships, this one gave us the most when it came to uh, ship cards. Oh, but yeah. maybe they're trying to balance out what you're getting for your money. Because this one only came with two, count them, two upgrade cards. Concord Dawn Protector and Fearlessness. That's it. Yeah, but I gotta say, though, that it, that's an, a very interesting concept uh, that they just decided, you know what, let's not... You know, let, let's build everything into the ships rather than, than make it sort of upgrade cards because, I, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely different than anything they've ever done before. Um, I don't recall, with the exception of, like, the larger uh, packs, like, say, for instance, the, um, like, Rebel Aces and stuff like that, I don't recall them ever giving this many uh, pilot cards. I mean, they've given quite a few pilot cards in packs before. It's just that usually you had several pilot cards, sometimes as many as these, and quite a few upgrade cards. I'm more taken aback by the fact that we seem to be back to some of the higher number of ship cards like we've seen every once in a while before, and yet the upgrade cards are utterly minimal. One of which, uh, Concord Dawn Protector only works because it's a title with Protectorate Starfighter. So, I, and granted, they don't have a lot of space four upgrades. There's only two icons in their upgrade bar, and they've got quite a few different abilities in their uh, their action bar, but I don't know. That just that struck me as very strange. I think of these as, you know, if somebody's like me, and they're picking up one of each, so part of it's a collection and part of it is actual play, then one of the things that justifies getting a new expanded item, even if you're not going to play as that faction, is the upgrade cards. But in this case, there really isn't much in the way of upgrade card that could justify picking up the protector at Starfighter if you're not going to play as Scum and Villainy. Right, right. Which is kind of a good thing, too, because in the past there's been stuff like, uh, you know, oh, hey, go buy this card for, um, I think it was the um, the Kyrex Fighter that everyone was buying. No one plays the Kyrex Fighter, but everyone was buying it because they wanted to get the, uh, oh, what's the, the card? I can't think of what the card is in it. Um, and crack shot, they everybody wanted crack shots. So the, those expansions were selling out, but not because of the actual ships. So, I mean, I guess essentially someone could complain and be like, "Oh, well, this is, I got to spend all this money because of the card, and it's like fifteen dollars." And blah, 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 blah. so what you're saying is that there's a lot more X-wing players out there than I thought. Because if that many people wanted a shot of crack, that totally explains the election season. <laughs> you knew there was a political joke coming at some point in this episode. Uh, I can't do without. Uh, of the pilots, I will say that the one that stands out to me is Cad Solis um, because of his ability. 
You've got uh, old Tarok that's at the start of the combat phase. You may choose one enemy ship at range one. If you're inside its firing arc, it discards all focus and evade tokens. That's pretty cool. Um, when attacking or defending, this is for Fenrau, if the enemy ship is at range one, you may roll one additional die. But Cad Solus, to me, sounds like it's one that's much more thematic, sort of a guy that's just a daredevil who's willing to do crazy crap to get an advantage. It's after you execute a red maneuver, assign two focus tokens to your ship. That seems rather advantageous to me. Mm-hmm. So to me, if I was going to be playing as a protectorate starfighter, I'd probably put Cad Solus on it, and it costs one or three less than any of the other two named pilots for that ship. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really like uh, Finn because of his ability tied in with the car- cardcord <laughs> Concord Dawn Protector. Um, both of those actually work pretty well together. And that is uh, when defending, if you are inside the attacker's firing arc and at range one, and the attacker is inside your firing arc, add one evade mm-hmm. result. So, and yeah. Then, so as long as you're you're using both of those, if the enemy's close, they're screwed. Right. So that that's the whole point. With him, you know, you're going to, to be in there close. Now, mix that with, uh, keeping with the theme, Boba Fett. Boba Fett's whole thing is he wants to be at, within range one of the enemy because it gives him rerolls. For, so basically, for every enemy ship at range one of Boba Fett, he gets a reroll. So you can actually fly these two guys, you know, you can sort of pair them up, which is good because that's been kind of a thing is Boba Fett's been having a hard time trying to find a, uh, a wingman, really. Because he's a loner. That's right. And he just needs to be alone. And it just so uh, happens that the guy who can fly with him is also a Mando. Nice. Although, you know, there is that whole thing of whether or not Jango Fett and, by extension, Boba are even Mandalorian anymore, given the comments made by Almec in uh, the Clone Wars and given the fact that there weren't other sources in story group canon now to address that. So it may be that we will find that he was just, as Almec said, just a mercenary slash just a bounty hunter, just a whatever. But we'll see. I'm waiting to see that somehow clarified in some material out there someday. Um, but not so much yet. Speaking of bounty hunters and mercenaries and people for hire, that brings us to the last of the four ships, the one large ship, or what I call medium, because I refuse to call epic epic when it's just as easy to call them small, medium, and large. I'm still waiting for supersize that you have to carry around <laughs> in a shopping cart, um, which I guess would be like an Imperial Star Destroyer for this game. Um, it'd be much bigger than that. <laughs> much, much bigger. Oh, yeah. Um, so we've got... Um, the Shadowcaster. And it's interesting that the Shadowcaster has also appeared, by the way, uh, in Armada, sort of, um, because we have this type of ship, the Lancer-class pursuit craft showing up. It is also essentially the design of the Havoc of uh, Nim fame back into Starfighter games, but there seems to be no reference to him within the material here. But what we've got is the Shadowcaster with three named pilots that are big name pilots, uh, known pilots, not obscure, and one that is generic. The one generic is Shadowport Hunter, and then you've got Ketsu Onyo, who we see flying the ship in Rebels. We have Sabine Rin, her former partner, who she escaped from the Mandalorian Academy with, um, who is also, of course, from Rebels and factors heavily into the episode that introduced it, uh, Blood Sisters. And then we have 
Asajj Ventress, because we've seen her use a similar type of ship before. I believe it was in the novel Dark Disciple. So Ventress, Ketsu, and Sabine each get a ship card, and then amongst the upgrades, and there are quite a few, uh, we have one Veteran Instincts, uh, two Black Market Slicer Tools, one Rigged Cargo Chute, one Countermeasures, two Tactical Jammers, one Gyroscopic Targeting, the title Shadowcaster, and then among the possible crew members, we have Latsrazi, of course from Clone Wars with the weird boa thing, uh, Ketsu Onyo, so she could be either the pilot or she could be a crew member, and IG-88D, which was an interesting choice there, uh, all of which, by the way, are scum only. That is correct. <laughs> wow, Susan, it's like, dead stop. It's like, yep, yep. Sorry. That's true there, sir. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I, I was like, what was that? I totally um, did that on purpose. Um, so, the one, these, this is a good ship. This is actually the only one. I haven't received it yet, but this is the only one that I've ordered so far. Um. Oh, man, I really like it. Uh, Asajj is probably the one I'm going to play with at least starting out, but Sabine is really good too. Um, I really like the, the pilot cards. All right, well, then let's look at the pilot cards. So, Asajj Ventress. At the start of the combat phase, you may choose a ship at range 1 to 2. If it's inside your mobile firing arc, assign one stress token to it. And what they mean by mobile firing arc, this is a new type of firing arc that allows you basically to choose whether you're firing basically forward, backward, left, or right, um, based on which direction this little like add-on thing is pointing. It's a little like indicator that you actually stick on the base. If you think of the regular base that has the cir- for a, this size of ship that has that circular part where you're going to plug in the pole, the sticks, whatever, um, then you get the little spot on it where you can add in the ID token to let you know which number the ship is in case you've got multiples running. And in this case, instead, on that little round part where you're going to stick your ID tokens in, you instead put this ring thing around it that has a pointer on it that's going to be turned to point to whichever firing arc you're going to use as your mobile firing arc. And that has necessitated some newly redesigned ID tokens with slightly different bottoms that are kind of notched instead of flat so that you can actually plug it in and still be able to move this mobile firing arc thing uh, around. And you can basically take an action to move your mobile firing arc um, to point it in a different direction. And when you are attacking with your primary weapon, you can use either. You don't have to use the primary firing arc. You could use the mobile one instead for your primary weapon, um, which is a new thing that they've added in for this specific ship. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool um, really cool setup. It adds more adds more to the game without really, you know, definitely not overpowered. Uh, in a way, it's a little underpowered, sort of, since we've already had the the turrets, uh, which has been something that a lot of people have complained about in the past, is, is feeling like, uh, you know, there for a while, everyone was playing the, uh, you know, like the Falcon and the, um, the Outrider, which, you know, they had the full 360 degree firing arc, and a lot of people were like, eh, that's a little too much, because these ships have such big, hu- you know, hull, you've got to try to chew through and everything, like, this is just too much so they've they've went went through and and really tried to um weaken those up a bit or you know at least add stuff to the game that can can take them out and so they're not as powerful but now they're deciding to instead of continuing that 
you know, we're getting stuff like this mobile firing arc, which I really like. And each of the ship cards, each of the pilots, at least the named ones, the unnamed one doesn't have any game text. Um, but each of them, their ability has to do with that mobile firing arc. So we had Asajj relating to it, then Sabine's, when defending against an enemy inside your mobile firing arc at range 1 to 2, you can add one focus result to your roll. And then Ketsu, at the start of your combat phase, you may choose a ship at range 1. If it's inside your primary and mobile firing arcs, assign one tractor beam token to it. Um, which is her way of using the tractor beam without there needing to be a tractor beam upgrade card or anything like that uh, for this. So it does come with a tractor beam icon, not as Michael found on one of the wikis. He was looking at a cloaking, uh, I, uh, cloaking token. No, there's no <laughs> cloaking token. I don't, think, cloak. I don't think Wikipedia was correct. Yeah, they were not correct on that one. Um, so I find that kind of cool. I also like there's a, a – maybe I missed it somewhere because there's a lot of stuff that's been going on. I haven't gone as in-depth with some of these as I would have liked uh, in some previous waves. But maybe – I think this is new. We have the rigged cargo shoot upgrade card. What it does is for an action, you can discard that card to drop one cargo token. And what they mean by a cargo token is something that looks like – just wreckage or an obstacle that you can just basically dump anywhere in the middle of a match or in the middle of a game. Um, I thought that was kind of cool because you have your sort of preset obstacles, but this basically lets you create an obstacle. You're not creating something that's going to explode, but you've just made it so someone pursuing you is going to have to go around that and that sort of thing, which I thought was kind of an interesting way of, of taking what would normally be a regular obstacle-type token and making it something you actually have more control over than just the setup at the beginning of the game. Yeah, well, and further, this really works with Ketsu a lot uh, because her being able to use that tractor beam, if you can throw more stuff out there to tractor, be tractor beam people onto, um, then that's really going to, to be helpful with her. And you're talking about the pilot card, right? Yeah, yeah, Ketsu. This, it looks like she's also, with the whole tractor beam aspect of it, that mm -hmm. also plays into um, her crew card. At the start of your end phase, you can choose one enemy ship inside your firing arc at range 1 to 2, and that ship does not remove its tractor beam tokens. So she is essentially designed to lock people into place. Right. Well, you won't be able to to put both on. Like you, you right, won't be right. Able you to, can't right. put both of those on. But either way, whether you're, mm -hmm. whichever one you're using is still going to give you that tractor beam oomph. Right. right. So. Although I would assume that if you're not using her ship card that has the assign a tractor beam token to it, you, if you're going to use her as an upgrade card, you would then have to also include a tractor beam because the ship cards aren't giving you the tractor beam ability. You would have to do something else around it. Otherwise, her ability is useless as a crew member. Right, and, and of course you can see the tractor beam. I'm not seeing the tractor beam coming with this one, but if it right. were me, uh, just from a strategic from a strategic standpoint, I wouldn't waste my time with that on this ship anyways. I would I would take that card. It's cool to have that card, but I would throw it on something like the Mist Hunter and let that be your, your designated tractor beamer. Right. And speaking of of kind of coordinating with the other ships, IG-88D is also another of these that if you don't have a specific other thing in play, it's useless. Um, IG-88D says you have the pilot ability of each friendly ship with the IG-2000 upgrade card, in addition to your own pilot ability. So you need to be playing, um, basically, IG-88 ship, his name escapes me right now, with that IG-2000 upgrade card title on it. Otherwise, IG-88D is a useless upgrade card. That's the aggressor? Is that the aggressor? Yes, the aggressor class. Mm -hmm. 
The so. one that I always think when I picture it, I always think that the front is the back and the back is the front because I'm an idiot. No, no, it's that's a very logical. Uh, I man, that card, like almost to me, like thinking of that, and I'm sure it's fine, but that almost feels game breaking, you know. Um, being able to just be like, oh, here we go, we're, we're going to take... Because that was the thing with the IGs beforehand. You had to buy two of them because uh, the whole thing was... The, the whole ability of them was you share the the ability of the other card. And so you you constantly, like most people, would be like, okay, I'm going to play uh, DNB or DNC or something like that. I can't remember the, the exact two. I can never remember which... Uh, which letter goes with which cool ability. But point being, they would always have to do it that way. But now the ability to uh, move that over onto another ship, that's yep. that's going to be insane. And, and it's not limited here. It's not limited to the Lancer class pursuit craft. It is just limited to scum only. So you could use it on any scum ve- vessel that has that crew icon for upgrades, right. which is pretty sweet. And it only costs one. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to throw that on a, uh, um, a Hawk 290. Bum, bum, bum. No, I'm not going to do uh, that. <laughs> uh, then we've got, I guess, uh, the other thing people might be curious about, I guess, would be Lats Razi and the Shadowcaster. Lats Razi, when defending, you can remove one stress token from the attacker to add one evade result uh, to your roll. So basically... You know, it'll make it easier for you to escape, but they're like, whew, and their stress is going away. Um, and then you have the Shadowcaster title that only goes on this type of ship, of course, as they usually do. After you perform an attack that hits, if the defender is inside your mobile firing arc and at range 1 to 2, you may assign the defender one tractor beam token. So you also have the tractor beam ability here, which I guess that's that's the answer to our question a second ago, I suppose. I should have read this first, that if you don't use Ketsu... As your pilot, and you try to use Ketsu as a crew member, how are you going to be able to use the tractor beam? You could use the tractor beam, or I guess you could use the Shadowcaster title on it, which costs three, and that would give you that same tractor beam ability in that specific circumstance. That's that's how they've done it. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, and, and come to think of it, actually, I don't think that you can use the tractor beam on this because I don't think it has the upgrade bar. If I remember correctly, that's a cannon... Um as in two ends? Upgrade. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a canonical up. No, it's a cannon upgrade. One in. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I really hope people understand the difference. A cannon with one in means something that is definitive within the body of a certain work, and cannon with two ends is the gun. Because I really hate people getting into, you know, I think that this one is C cannon with two ends. And I'm like, does that mean it fires in a certain direction? Mark C, you moron. Um, <laughs> but no, that's true. Each of these have the... Uh, uh, let's see, they have the uh, Elite uh, and Crew, and the one that looks like a credit symbol, that's what, that's the, I forget, the illicit. The illicit, like mm-hmm. the illicit upgrade. Um, they do not have any weapon-related upgrade icons at all. Right, so I don't think you can even swing that, so, uh, but but not bad, because it's, you know, we've got some cool pilot abilities and stuff, and I'm not huge on the... Um, on that, anyways, I, I really think that would be a waste on this ship, just because why would you want to spend like 30-something points on the ship and then be like, ha-ha, you have just been uh, tractor-beamed. It's like, oh, okay, that's 
that's terrible for me, but you just used the bulk of your squad mm-hmm. to tractor beam one ship. Way to go, idiot. Nice. Uh, so I guess the only thing else that I would say about this arc, or this, this arc, now I'm talking about stories, this wave. <laughs> there you go. Not this arc of comics. This wave uh, of ships is that I remember my experience with the first wave and the core set for Armada. And they had the Victory Class Star Destroyer. And I keep all my stuff in these big uh, Plano number 732 tackle boxes. And I wasn't even thinking about height when I was putting them away the first time, thinking, you know, if something is too tall for it, it just won't close. It'll knock against it. I'll know. So I'm more worried about will it fit as far as width and length. And I stick a Victory Class Star Destroyer in there and close it up, and immediately something snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, it has this antenna that's like a regular, really, really thin antenna with an even tinier one sticking out of the top of it that's almost guaranteed to break. Um, I actually went ahead and just snapped that little teeny tiny piece off of both of mine so they would fit inside the um, the cases, and it still looks nice where it's got the, the thicker one. But the really, really thin protrusions have ever since then concerned me on any of the miniatures because they are indeed often fragile. And I feel like this is the most fragile wave we've gotten. The Protectorate Starfighter doesn't have much that can easily be broken, but on the Special Forces tie, the little piece sticking up that's meant to be like an auxiliary gun or whatever, um, at least that's what the Lego has, um, sticking out of sort of the top of the ball cockpit, that is incredibly thin. Some of the cannons built onto the ARC-170 are really, really tiny, and there are nose and turret-type weapons uh, on the Shadowcaster that are really, really, really thin. So make sure that if you are using these, you're being careful with them and you're storing them in such a way that they're not going to bang against stuff. Um, because I have a feeling these will be some of the most easily broken miniatures that we've gotten from X-Wings so far. And they happen to all be within this same wave. I mean, they look fantastic. They're really detailed, really cool looking. But part of the consequence to that is that all those little gun emplacements that look so neat are fragile. Yeah. yeah I definitely want to uh, invest in um, good storage and not just jamming stuff in tackle boxes like I've been doing for a while. And I've been able to get away with it, but it's starting to, to get more difficult at this point and that's something i need to really look into mm-hmm. is is my storage especially because I, ha- I still haven't pick up picked up the ghost yet and a lot of that is because where am i gonna put it <laughs> like wh- right. wh- what did you do with yours where did where did you sit your uh, ghost? what i do is because i'm using those plano 732 boxes mm-hmm. uh basically i'm using there's there's two side compartments that open in those, they have smaller little boxes for tackle and whatnot. That's where I'm putting a lot of the small cards and a lot of the tokens and the, the ship cards. There are three longer uh, and deeper like sorting boxes or whatever you want to call them that then slide into the front. Mm-hmm. That's where I put most of my bigger ships and the regular starfighters. And then anything big, like the Ghost, like um, the Tantive Four and that kind of stuff, um, you can open the top of the tackle box where it's just got a flat area or mostly flat area to sit it in. I sit those in there and just make sure that uh, they don't have any parts that are sticking up that'll run into the top when it closes. And I just close them up there in the top. And there's enough of them in each one, like the hound's tooth and things like that, um, that they're not going to jostle around too much because they're sort of, by all being in there together, they're limiting the movement for each one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's... Um that's kind of not ideal I, by any means, right. but 
it works. But then again, I'm not carrying them around all the time. I've got all, God, what is it now, six of my tackle boxes, two for Imperial Assault, three for, well, of the big ones, three for X-Wing and one for Armada now. I've got all of those in my uh, shelf system that I put together right after we moved in that closet. So to me, I'm not concerned about it. I'm driving in the car and I just had to hit the brakes. Uh-oh, my ship's just shifted enough to break one of them. But for someone who's traveling for a lot of organized play, like at a game shop or something, yeah, there's going to be some concern about some of these newer ships and how uh, finely detailed they are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That uh, doesn't mean don't do it, Fantasy Flight. It just means we got to be careful. Make them awesome. <laughs> Still make them awesome. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's, I, can, I, I can figure it out. Just I'll, I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. Uh, so the other thing this weekend was Rogue Friday. Wow. There was another big Star Wars product launch weekend? I had no idea. And literally, I mean, I had no idea until about two weeks before it happened. (laughs) Um, This was not a very well-promoted thing, at least not within the circles in Star Wars fandom and Facebook and whatnot that I travel in. Until that last couple of weeks, it was like, everybody's like, ooh, Rogue Friday's coming up. I'm like, huh? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean... What's it, what, what is it? Is that when the new X-Men movie comes out? Rogue Friday? I know that you actually took part in this one. Um, I think that it would be probably instructive, at least in my thoughts on Rogue Friday, I think it'd be maybe instructive to sort of think of this in relation to the first Force Friday. Um, so, could you give us kind of a, a, a lowdown real quick on like what you did, what you picked up, just in general terms for that first Force Friday, and then... Rogue Friday, so we've got a point of comparison here since you did do both of them. Okay, so I don't know how how well that's going to to tell for uh, for for how it goes for most people because I, I had to go with a, a different mindset for this one. But the first Force Friday, I picked up, of course the uh, the new X Wing starter that came out last year. I got all of the Black Series figures. Except for Chewbacca, because I already had a another Chewbacca. Um, he was a good one, but it's just I'm like, oh, okay. So this Ooh. one has a closed mouth. The other one has an open mouth. Whatever. So, so this story was let the Wookiee warm the pig. <laughs> Basically, yeah, he did for a little while. And you know, the thing is, though, uh, now I kind of wonder what the value of him is because he, to my knowledge, he was only in that first wave, and they never re-released him. Hmm. Um. So I, I don't know. Yeah, but him and Finn both kind of warmed the pegs there for like six months. But That's racist. <laughs> I don't think it is, but okay. I, hey, it's 2016 America. That's racist. Okay. My All bad. you have to do is say it and it is. So I've just said it. Now it is. Gotcha. Hashtag that sucker. Okay. Uh, so anyhow, I got those. I got uh, pretty much all. I may have left like one or two. I can't remember if the uh, resistance soldier was in, in that first wave uh but i pretty much got all the first wave of the three and three quarters figures uh very nice those are the five points of articulation that people gripe about yes those okay which is exactly what they were in our childhood for most of the characters right five points of articulation right right okay just uh, i'm i'm trying to make sure that i'm following all the bits and pieces because i'm not as big on the 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 toy collecting and whatnot, but also I know that some of the audience, but I'm, I'm trying to be an advocate, not an a-hole by <laughs> asking you questions that you're like, yeah, 
I know the answer, and you probably do somewhere in your brain too. No, no, it's cool. I mean, I kind of feel I kind of feel, feel a couple different ways about it because I, I get people who are upset and saying, "Okay, so we just had fourteen points of articulation, like really nice, detailed stuff, and now we're getting ones that aren't." So I, I see it, um, and, and Hasbro has pretty much said, "No, we have no interest." Um, I know on uh, I believe it was the 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 Jedi News podcast they have their uh, their collectors cast and they were actually able to ask them and they, and they've done this a few times where they're like hey you know what about those three and three quarters and the, and they're pretty much their answer is right now we're focusing on these uh, six inch figures which is basically we're not doing it um, they do have the the Walmart exclusives and those trickle out much much more uh, slowly but so point being. Uh, last year, you know, I got those things, got several other stuff that I, I'd have to sit and really think about. Uh, for instance, got, um, the, uh, the Ray Lego speeder, uh, lots of stuff. And then, and then as time went on, I got more and more and more to where I pretty much just got just about everything almost from Force Awakens. And as I was thinking about, okay, what do I want to get this year? I realized money is not the problem here. Um, it, is it expensive when you get all of it? Yes, but money's not the problem. The problem is space. Amen. I only have so much room. And the thing is, you know what? I, I may have plenty of room f- to get all of it, right? But then next year, uh, episode eight's going to come out and it's like, do I have all the room to, to get all this stuff and then get all the episode eight stuff too? Uh, it's unlikely, but even if I do, then when the Han Solo movie comes out the following year, how likely is it that I'm going to have all that stuff? So at some point with a film coming out every year for the foreseeable future, I'm really, really going to have to start cutting back and, and being more selective on what I get. So, Mm -hmm. so this year so far, I've only gotten, I got two black series figures. I got the, uh, uh, Death Trooper and K2SO. For the three and three quarters, I only got the Sabine Wren and the K2SO. And then for the Disney Elites, I only got the uh, K2SO and Death Trooper. Uh, and that's made up pretty much everything. Past that, the only thing I think that I, I purchased was the... Uh, I got actually got three of the Pops, uh, the, the Funko Pops. And I got uh, K2SO... Uh, Saw Gerrera because uh, Christine wanted that one, which is so weird. She always wants like the most random stuff, which apparently that one's been pretty popular. So maybe I'm the weirdo there. Uh, and then also got um, the the uh, Target exclusive Jin Erso in the uh, the Imperial Ground Trooper disguise. Nice. So um, I'll give my impressions here momentarily. I don't want to. To, to deviate yet because I'm thinking in terms of I remember last time on Force Friday uh, you were, had sent me I guess it was a picture from wherever you were whichever target or wherever you were to confirm yes this is where the core set is right, right. Uh, for the new X-Wing so last year it was relatively long lines you know there was an interest in it they had special store displays and whatnot. some stores did special events like you know where we're going to do a giveaway of this giant you know, Chewbacca thing or something. Um, there really was sort of an event feel for it. I know that Star Wars Action News found they went to several Walmarts and they were like nothing, 
out at all. Talking about this um, year? This year. This yeah. Year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Walmart so, was not selling. They're just like, yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. So, I guess, where did you go? Did you go to Target again? I, so what I did this year was I chose poorly. From from the way that I understand it, from what I could find online, it seems like really only uh, Toys R Us was participating in the like the midnight release stuff. So I chose poorly trying to go to a Walmart, and I, I pretty much stayed at a Walmart from like a little before twelve to one a.m. Uh, thinking, you might be a redneck, <laughs> right? Uh, and it was me and another guy who had the same idea, and we're like, yeah, maybe at any moment they're gonna they're gonna bring stuff out. And they never did. So I went to another Walmart, and they never brought anything out. So then at that point, I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to get up at 8 o'clock and go to Target, which was my main plan anyways. That was more just of like a, hey, let's kind of go at midnight and grab the stuff because, you know, more for just cause rather than actually trying to uh, grab the stuff. But, yeah, then then I went to Target the next uh, day at 8 a.m. and grabbed basically everything that, uh, that I, I wanted at that point that, that Target at least had. So I guess because it was the next morning and whatnot, not really much in the way of crowds or event type things. It was just more of a now the displays are out kind of thing. Well, yeah, it's just that because um, Target didn't open, so they didn't open until eight. So that would be the first point chance that you'd have to get the stuff. And with it being a Friday morning, uh, mm-hmm. most people were either at work or on their way to work. What a, wait a second. You're saying that sci-fi fans and Star Wars fans don't all live in their mama's basements? Or is it just that they couldn't get access to the family car that day? Uh, I think a little of both. Yeah. See? See, we're not all that. Um, so I guess my experience um, last year mm-hmm. was oh – God, it's, it's really been a year um, – was pretty positive. Um, we did the Target midnight thing where they had an event going. We were standing in line and everything. Um Wound up being there mainly to get the new X-Wing core set and the new books. So picked up uh, the X-Wing core set uh, for, you know, The Force Awakens. Picked up uh, Aftermath and Moving Target, Weapon of a Jedi, Smuggler's Run, Lost Stars. Um, Wound up basically going to Toys R Us, I guess, the next morning. And... Picked up, gosh, what did I pick up? Uh, I think it was like the Star Wars chess game, the the new The Force Awakens chess game. Wound up back at Target shortly thereafter, picking up the Lego Millennium Falcon. And within a matter of a few days of the big launch, I had picked up the remote control Target exclusive BB-8, the one that's not Sphero. Um, had picked up, well, eventually I wound up picking up some more of the Lego sets because now I've got four of the Force Awakens, or yeah, four of the Force Awakens uh, Lego sets on top of my home video shelves and whatnot. But it felt kind of like an event, like a, like a big deal. But also it was heavily, heavily promoted. Um, and their product choices seemed to have been different. Whereas this year, barely heard anything about Rogue Friday until right before it happened. Didn't know a whole lot of people who cared about going. The Facebook feed wasn't full of people talking about going to this thing. Um, and I did wind up going the next morning at about, I guess it was about 10 or 11 o'clock to the local Target. And they still had most of the Star Wars stuff that they had up on the shelves in their displays. And as I walked through, I'm like, nope, nope, not interested, nope, don't care, nope. And walked out buying nothing. The The only thing that had that really sparked my interest was the U-Wing and TIE Striker uh, Lego sets. Both of which my wife was eyeing like, your birthday's coming up. And I'm like, I have nowhere to put them, unfortunately. I'm having the same <laughs> right. issue that you're having. Um, 
it it seems to me that they sort of they missed the mark when it came to the promotion on this one for sure. Uh, unless it's the idea that you don't want to over promote and have it promoted every year as a huge thing because there'll be like a weariness of it. People get yeah. tired of yeah, it. Yeah, you're going to get diminishing um, returns. But they didn't do okay. One, they didn't do any kind of game tie-in this time. We didn't have a new wave of new Fantasy Flight game stuff as part of this. Now, granted, I say that with the knowledge that I'm not sure I would have wanted it because last year's handling of the core sets pissed me off to no end. I railed against Fantasy Flight on that BS last year, right. where they basically were like, uh, we're not going to tell anybody and acknowledge that these even exist. Oh, wait, people have leaked pictures. Nothing to see here. It's not real. Oh, now it's a Force Friday thing, but it's only a Target thing, and we're not going to tell anybody that. We won't actually officially announce it till the next day. And oh, yeah, if you wanted to buy and support your favorite local game shop, which we're big on saying, they're screwed because they couldn't even order the damn things until after Force Friday, because we didn't acknowledge they existed. Um, it was an absolute cluster criff, so to speak, to use Star Wars terminology <laughs> there, uh, when it came to that last year. Great product, asinine way of handling the launch. This time, nothing of the sort. Yeah. yeah which I, is both good and bad. Yeah, I uh, think, I think honestly, that was a situation of them doing something that... Uh, dictated I, to them? Possibly, um, and, th and then again, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was just a scenario of them having it offered to them, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we really should do this." But it it just it it wasn't it wasn't for them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think X Wing is a game that that would do well being sold in Targets, and that seems well, to be well, it hasn't right <laughs> because they had the core set for a while and now they pulled the core set off of their shelves both the new right. and the old one which is why you're able to get that core set so cheaply because there's so much of it that was put out in these big box stores that just didn't sell so they've had to just slash prices on them so i, I you know hopefully everyone's learned their lesson from that and we won't see anything like that in the future yeah we can hope i guess the other thing that got me was you know, I'm not really much of a toy collector um, for Star Wars. I mean, I think they're cool looking. They're nifty to check out, but I wasn't going to pick them up. I picked up the Lego stuff mainly because I like building them, and I just put them on display afterwards. Um, but no books. There weren't any comic releases tied into it, any book releases tied into it at all. Like last year, we got three Young adult books focused on the individual character, junior novels, whatever you want to call them, focused on the big three. Um, we had Aftermatch, Aftermatch, Aftermath, <laughs> uh, because I want to take a match to it. Um, Aftermath, wow, which um, which was very lackluster, but Aftermath was the first post Return of the Jedi new canon novel. Um, and we had Lost Stars, which was sort of the surprise of them because it wound up being, in my opinion, the strongest still of the new canon Star Wars novels. But we had a blast of five of them in one day. We're like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. We got to read them and review them and stuff. And now it was like they took these slow down, slow down, and we're like, screw it. They wanted us to slow down last time. We're just not going to drive at all. <laughs> How um, do you like there, that? There wasn't a single one. And. It strikes me that there is a tie-in book coming, right? Rogue One Catalyst, and there's other stuff like a visual dictionary type guide and whatnot, which makes me wonder, because of the release date for Catalyst, which is November 15th, I'm wondering if what they're doing is they're essentially separating out Rogue Friday and saying, this is the toy thing, but the book launch 
we want to make it special by tying it into the 3D Blu-ray release of The Force Awakens because that is also, I believe, for the U.S. November 15th, or at least it's it's mid-November. Um, so I'm kind of thinking that maybe their strategy is, one, they're not going to release it as far before the film because maybe this one reveals more than maybe Aftermath did about what to expect out of The Force Awakens, which was, you know, almost nothing. Um, but then also maybe they're trying to do a cross-promotion with the film re-release before the movie hits theaters. The only thing I can think of that would say why Disney Lucasfilm Press and Del Rey and Marvel all basically completely ignored Rogue Friday. Yeah, I mean, that that's possible. I still think that they, you know, my personal opinion is that what would have been easy to do and should have been done was the Ahsoka book should have come out. Well, yeah, especially given the fact that the Ahsoka book comes out. I mean, that, that was Rogue Friday was September 30th. Mm-hmm. It comes out on October 11th. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's it's coming very, very soon. Now, I wonder, though, if that had happened, if people would have then turned around and griped um, because and it, it probably still will in October because um, of the fact that they had released on the first day of San Diego Comic Con. They made those arcs available, the advanced copies available to anyone who stopped by the the uh, Disney Lucasfilm Press booth um, and then gave out those little smaller five-chapter or six-chapter or whatever it was previews the other two days. So kind of one of those, well, now you're giving it to us and making it special, but a lot of people already have it, you jerks. I mean, <laughs> we, will, we will find a way to gripe about anything as right. fans. Um, but, I mean, at least it would have been. I mean, maybe, I guess, since it's not directly tied into – Rogue One, it wouldn't have made sense, but at the same time, I think back and yeah, those three uh, younger reader books or whatever you want to call the junior novels and Aftermath were all billed as part of the journey to The Force Awakens, but they had minimal, extremely minimal ties to the actual film. The only one that really felt like it had much of a tie was Lost Stars, and even that was just because of the Battle of Jakku. There was virtually nothing in the books released on Force Friday as Journey to The Force Awakens that lived up to that title. So why not release Ahsoka? But it's not connected to Rogue One. Last time it didn't matter. Why does it matter to you now? Right. No, I'm I'm with you. I I, I think that it just it could have been something that could have come out. There also someone had posted on Facebook that they'd already gotten their uh, Star Wars complete locations. So. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I haven't ordered that one, so I don't know when that's expected. That's coming soon, though, right? It's not supposed to be out yet. Right. It's supposed to be here like in the next few days or something like that but they they just got it a little bit early point being that's another book that could have you know come out already but let me let me toss another thing out for you on rogue friday and this is something that you as more of a collector probably have more of a sense of the pulse of than i would um there is a bit of a controversy because last time there were a few stores and i found a couple around me that broke the street date by putting stuff out early Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be that the inventory control system, when you go and try to scan the barcode on one of those, is going to tell you, no, this can't be sold until such and such day and will not allow the sale to take place. Um, that seemed to be this, the, what I heard a lot last year, which was, well, I found it, but they wouldn't sell it to me kind of stuff, it, including me. I found some uh, The Force Awakens shirts that I was going to get for my wife, and nope, nope, it was it was two days early. They just accidentally set them out at the wrong time. Right. Um, but this year seems to be a lot more prevalence of 
people finding stuff that had broke the street date and convincing the person at the cash register to simply sell it to them based on the marked price on the shelf that shouldn't have been on there yet anyway and doing it manually. And the controversy that came up with that, one, aside from the fact that people are getting stuff early and breaking the street date and that kind of thing and just you know how much that would annoy uh, the producers out there. But the fact that – and I hadn't even thought of this. If you're doing it that way, it's going in as basically a generic action figure or a generic whatever for that price. It's not scanning as that particular item, which means that the inventory control system is not going to realize that you're out of them right. when you're out of them because they'll still assume that the ones that were sold that way are in inventory, which means not reordering them and restocking them. Um, what are your thoughts on that as someone who actually collects figures who would probably run into that sort of thing thanks to the breaking street date early sale stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's a situation where I fully blame, and I only blame, the retailers. I don't blame anyone who, because there's, um, someone had put up a thing, and I just, like, rolled my eyes when uh, an article from uh, from one of the, the like, the collecting forums. Hmm? Yeah, I, I, it was like Jedi Archive or something had, a, had an editorial against the practice, I think was who it was. Yeah, I, I was just wasn't going to. I wasn't going to name them, but I think it's, I think it's a well reasoned. <laughs> no, it's not. Although I would have, I, I probably would. You, you and I would be on different sides probably of that. But then again, I'm no. not the collector of the. Well, it, because it's not because blaming the collector is BS. It's total BS. But why is it? Why is it BS? I understand if it's an ignorance thing. You know, you can't. We're not going to hold you accountable for something you didn't know. But. I think there's a, a significant difference between somebody who just walks in the store and goes, oh, hey, cool, Rogue One figures. I didn't know these were coming and walks up, tries to buy it, and then talks their way through it versus someone who realizes it's supposed to come out on Friday. It's not supposed to be out yet. <laughs> I wonder if I can get them to sell it to me. <laughs> I think there's a big difference in, in intent there. And I think they were specifically talking to those who are breaking street. In fact, they even have a line in the editorial about, you know, if you found one and this is essentially an accidental thing, you know, whatever good on you. But if you're someone who purposely manipulated the process, this makes you part of the problem. I, I think they drew a distinction there. That's fine, but they're still wrong. Uh, the, the, problem, <laughs> the problem begins and ends with the retailers, period. You can't put like because I don't care. You don't put something out on the shelf and then say, expect people to go, oh, well, I know, because I like Star Wars, I know that this isn't supposed to be out yet, therefore, I should just walk on by it. Because you know what the other side of that is? Well, you know what, I, I may walk on by it, but someone else who doesn't know, you know, uh, air quotes, doesn't know, may get it, then they pitch a fit when it doesn't happen, and then so they sell it to them. So because I actually knew... I'm supposed to be the one who's um, going to miss out. That's BS. I think I do agree that it goes down to the retailer. The retailer should not bow to the pitching of fit. I am I am a very firm believer in that the idea that the customer is always right is absolute bull. Well, no, but once a again, a lot of times the customer, especially these days, is pitching a fit for some reason that basically boils down to a sense of entitlement. No, no, um, no, 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 no. I I disagree with that too because. Guess what? They shouldn't have been out. The retailer right, shouldn't have been out. But right. it, if it's a mistake, if it's an obvious mistake, and they're like, "Oh wow, I'm sorry. We should we should have taken it out. Thank you for letting us know." Blah blah blah. You know, do I can see a way for them to still annoy people, 
but be at least more sort of forthcoming about it that I mean you're, it, it's working under the assumption I guess that a business can't make a mistake without that mistake having to then bite them in the butt but there's and, a difference but, between but, I mean a, I guess but to be fair I mean other places you know if you advertise the wrong price on something in general they're going to wind up matching it because they don't want to take off the customer and it exactly. was their fault. So exactly. Yeah. And I, I, just, I feel like there's enough blame on both sides that, that yes, the retailers have a responsibility not to put it out and not to right. sell it if they have agreed as part of getting these products not to. But to say that there is – that essentially that exonerates any responsibility on the consumer's part, I think that's facetious. I think that there's – there's basically enough blame to go around if somebody is purposely trying to do this. Like there were people who were going store to store a couple of days before release, hunting through Star Wars aisles, looking specifically for stuff that was going to be released on Force Friday that had been put out early and coming up with strategies of what's the and posting online. What's the best way to argue with a manager to get this thing sold to you early kind of stuff? It's like it, it went from being an accidental thing that was only in isolated cases last year to being an active part of hunting this stuff down for some this year. And here I didn't think I was going to have much of a opinion <laughs> on it. It's, it yeah. turns out that as soon as you brought economics into it, son. Yeah, no, I, but like I said, I still, I'm, I'm still 100% on, on that side. I, I don't put any blame because once again, um, the reason why that that happened you know that that's that's an effect, not the cause. The cause was that not just a couple of places put things out early. Pretty much all of Walmart decided to. I mean, it's like very very uh, bad. I mean, it, like it's it was almost in my area. Almost every Walmart put some put all their stuff out early. Then would you would you then say that if this was something where I mean, I noted that there had been a concerted effort by some fans to go out and try to acquire these early, um, did, do you think that was a conscious choice on Walmart's part or was it just bad inventory management? Bad inventory management. They had no idea. They, they just, they did not, um, specify on, on when this stuff should have went out properly. They did not inform their employees properly, and the employees just did what they wanted to. They just put stuff out um, because, and, and I'll tell because I'll, I'll go ahead and say because I actually I was curious about it. I was like, hey, you guys have a stand up, but you're saying that these figures aren't for sale. Like, you know, I was just kind of uh, just sort of talking through, just seeing like, okay, what do you know about the situation or whatever? And they're like, oh, they're like, I don't, they they probably they're like they uh, put it out early because they wanted to, you know, basically they wanted to um, not have to do it a day of. Mm -hmm. So, so, so you got you got angry belligerent employees who are like, hey man, roll back, get it, <laughs> yeah. get it, eh? yeah. Eh? But so, like I said, point being, you know, it's just it's it's poor management. It's the the people who are the most at fault of this. Uh, no, not most. The the people who are totally at fault is is Walmart. Now, actually. Let me. I will back that up a little bit because I will say, uh, a small part does go to Hasbro's uh, distribution because, mm -hmm. um, which I, I'll get to something else here in a moment. But because of their past reputation for having very poor distribution, that's what has a lot of people going like this because they're they're saying, you know what, I want to get these things, but because it's such a hassle. Because it's, uh, you know, I have to put so much time and energy into trying to actually get these figures. 
if I see the ability, if I see them out on the shelves, well, I'm not going to pass it up. Like that's what a sucker does. So I get why someone would say, you know what? I don't want to have to worry about this on the 30th or the 31st when I see them right now. And then come at that point, they're going to be dried up. That hasn't been the case. I will, you know, that's the one thing I definitely want to say. Um, good on Hasbro. They really, really brought the distribution this time. I mean, big time. There's if anybody wants uh, any of their figures that aren't exclusive, because I will say the the Toys R Us uh, tank driver, I was not able to get, and I was a little bummed out, but that's fine. Um, as a whole, they actually had inventory, which was fantastic. Now, on that note, though. Mm-hmm. You're, it's interesting, you know, again, the economics teacher me coming out going, uh-huh, so you, you seem very Adam Smithy. You're very, very self-interest driven because while you're saying, I'm not going to leave this sitting there, that's what a sucker would do. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that also sits back and says, okay, but from a, the standpoint of, again, oh, well, it's, it's no fault of the, of the consumer, um, doesn't the person who decides not to be a sucker and to game the system to try to get something early that shouldn't have been out in the first place, doesn't that person basically screw over those who are fans who are actually trying to take part in the event and, and the fans who are actually trying to do things the legitimate, ethical, honorable way of doing it? If Especially if you're dealing with something that is a store exclusive that somehow gets sold out from under and time comes for Rogue Friday – and there aren't any left on the shelves because people got it before they were supposed to be on sale. Doesn't that mean you have fans screwing over other fans out of an unethical version of an action drawn by self-interest? Okay, but like I said uh, beforehand, it's it's not even so much that as... And like I said, we're, we're talking under the, the idea that uh, there's not going to be inventory later. That ended up not being the case, but... Like I said, a lot of people, that was their assumption. Well, it's still going to be an issue with inventory management. It's just that they've got oh. enough in the first wave from any places right. you can actually find what you want. Right, right. No, no. I, I get what you're saying as far as uh, causing an issue um, for yourself later for, for restocking purposes. I, I get that. I'm just saying a lot of people expected last year, which was, um, yeah. you know, my target last year, the, the one closest to me, only got one case of the Black Series figures. So, and that was all that they had for a long time, uh, like weeks to a month, uh, possibly. So that meant mm-hmm. that if you didn't get the, um, the Ray, you weren't going to get Ray from that store for until they got their next case in. That's true. Our target was the same way with the, uh, BB eight mm-hmm. target exclusive remote control. They had four on the day of, and they were gone within, I mean, less than a minute. Right. So what I'm saying is if you showed up and let's say they accidentally put that case out early and you as a collector, because you know that it's not supposed to, then you have the option of saying, oh, well, I'll just wait and hope that it's still here when it's when it's actually the time to buy it rather than say, you know what, I hope that somebody else doesn't come get it or someone who doesn't know, you know, they may not be purposely doing that, but they may still think, oh, I'm going to buy this and think that they can buy it, and then turn around, get up to the cash register, and they go, oh, you know what, I don't know what's going, because the salesperson doesn't know, and they sell it to them anyways. So now you you don't have it, someone else does, and it's not available that way either. So 
the problem doesn't come from whether or not the person is intentionally trying to buy it or not. The problem comes for it being out there for someone to buy. So whether they buy it intentionally or unintentionally, the problem's still there. It's just, did you get it or not? So basically, you're giving me the Obama argument. You're basically saying, look, look, let me be clear. Our troops should not be in Iraq. We need to get the troops out of Iraq because Iraq is a mess because Bush sent the troops into Iraq. Granted, my policies have sucked on what I'm doing in Iraq since I took office, but that's not my fault. It's Bush's fault because he put him in Iraq in the first damn place. You're basically giving me the that. You're saying that because... I'm not trying to be facetious. Because, because the store had essentially an original sin, so to speak, because mm-hmm. they screwed up and continued to screw up, no culpability whatsoever of screwing over other fans should be placed on the people buying it early. Essentially, that there is no ethical standard, honorable standard, or simply cordial fandom standard that fans should have for one another and fellow collectors. It's simply, it should be cutthroat, it should be uh, survival of the fittest, utterly self-interest, and the ends justify the means, essentially. No, no, because like I said, the, the problem is you're, you're not screwing over other fans. They screwed over other fans. But yes, you are. You're, you are part of the problem. If they put them out mm-hmm. and don't allow them to be sold or don't get conned into selling them, then they're still on the shelves. You're assuming that the, the customer has zero part in the process of convincing them gosh i don't know what's going on can i just tell you what the price said on the shelf to get it to go through and that there's not an active component on the consumer's part you're making them a passive part of this process well because they are they're the consumer they're not the consumer is not a passive part of the process though a consumer is an active part of any transaction they have to be the one who's actually picking up the item taking it to the checkout and in this case arguing the point of selling it well but here there's a difference between them saying oh well gosh this isn't scanning let me just run back and check what the price is and i'll just scan it for you which is the the entirely on the seller versus well i'm gonna play on your ignorance and i'm gonna make an argument for you selling this to me even though i know it shouldn't be sold okay that that is an active component of the problem but what okay but here's the thing though because um, I think there's there's degrees to this, but if if what you're doing is if you're if you're not getting that, and then the person says, oh, um, you know, let me let me bring that up or let me check the price or whatever, then at that point, are you saying that that's okay? If if they didn't, I'm not art- saying that it, if the, if the the person who brings it up is actually ignorant of when the date is supposed to be. If the cashier or whoever is actively ignorant and it is a mistake entirely essentially on their part without any purpose of evasion, so to speak, um, or, or, or malice of forethought, if you want to call it that, as far mm-hmm. as the consumer goes, then I would say that while that is still something that is harmful to the overall situation, it that is entirely on the business for putting it out first and for allowing it to go through. But if you're actively going in, trying to exploit the fact that they put them out early to get them to break the street date and actually sell it to you, then you are actively part of it. There's There are there are different camps and different levels of culpability for the consumer. 
But some of the some consumers are actively, purposely trying to get them that way, uh, and, and know better, and yet essentially are doing it anyway. Um, but anyway, I, I know we're 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 delving way far off the field. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what the uh, the audience thinks on this relatively charged issue. I know we're not going mm-hmm. to wind up solving it, or probably entirely agreeing by the end here. I I tend to take man, I I should stop reading Hamilton. Is what I should do. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm getting on that that high horse and that sort of thing, and I'm waiting for my uh, my Reynolds pamphlet moment where I just go over the top, and everybody's like, damn. And and I lose all credibility, but but hopefully that hasn't happened yet. Um, but then again, like I said, I'm I'm looking at it sheerly from sort of the the economic and ethical standpoint, rather than thinking of it as a collector. I think as a collector with a vested interest in the process, it's going to color one's way of looking at the situation. Just like being a supposedly disinterested outsider is going to color a view in this particular case because there isn't a personal stake involved. So so okay. Okay. Yeah, I just, we should, we'll leave it to the audience, I suppose. Yeah, that's fine. My, my final words is, you know, it's it's kind of like trying to say that, oh, well, no, no, it's okay for them to have bought it because they didn't know, just like it may be okay to, uh, you know, delete emails that uh, might be if you didn't know, then that's fine. That's not an actual crime. Yeah, I, d- I didn't know what those classification <laughs> symbols meant. and. And yeah, but again, that's the, that's the, that's the, did you, did you delete them because you didn't know and you didn't want to share them? Or did you actually get that special program to destroy everything? When you scrubbed your email, did you scrub the service clean? What? Like with a cloth? I think when you say that, that's like saying, did you go and purchase those? You mean like in blood? No, no, that's, that's a whole different thing. But, um, I don't know. I think that, that, um, the fact that they're doing more of these types of events is kind of cool. Hopefully, they'll they'll be a little bit more appealing to everyone, um, kind of like with Force Friday with you know books and things like that. Maybe the games uh, in future ones, but it is interesting to see that they are at least setting up a pattern where it's not just the movies that are the events that uh, the product launches themselves are events. I just wish that if they really wanted to make these events that are gatherings of fans, that um, that they would have maybe publicized. A little bit more in relation to Rogue Fire, but I, I I can see where they have to be worried about the diminishing returns of having way too many um, discuss. And and I applaud you, sir, for having used that phrase, diminishing returns, earlier. You said that, <laughs> and my economics teacher heart just went, Ooh, yeah, he used diminishing returns, LDR, baby. <laughs> wow. So anyhow, with that, it's gonna pretty much wrap up this episode you can always send us an email to cloudcitycasino at gmail.com you can of course always find us at our home over at starwarsreport.com uh i am morris isley over at cloud or at uh, twitter and then of course you can find the show over at uh, cloud city casino on both twitter and facebook uh, of course we're on itunes stitcher tune in and joe Magnano's uh star wars app on in the google play store uh, go ahead and give us a written five-star review, preferably. Hopefully, this one, this one wasn't whining; it was more arguing with each other this time. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll like that more and, and give us a, a good review this time. Uh, but besides that, uh, you can also find Nate over at his places, which are. Well, you can find the Star Wars Timeline Gold that on October 17th will have a new 2016 edition at over 3,000 combined pages across the five documents. It is the most comprehensive Star Wars chronology available anywhere. It is at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. Again, about two weeks until the new edition finally hits with tons and tons of new material. Uh, the Story Group Canon Timeline document is almost 400 pages by itself now. It, that 
canon is growing faster than most people realize. Um, of course, their YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio, or just search the name Nathan Butler without the middle initial this time around, and you'll find things like video reviews and overviews of the very X-Wing set that we just talked about in this episode, um, the X-Wing Wave, along with other material, uh, uh, tutorials for games, uh, various uh, things like from the Star Wars Home Video Library, where I'll be showing that diarrhea, excuse me, I mean Dairy Lee mail-away <laughs> Ewoks thing in the near future, uh, all that kind of stuff. And of course, I can also be heard on Star Wars Beyond the Films with Mark Herleman. That is also at StarWarsReport.com. We've recently released episodes on uh, Legacy Storms, on Bloodline, on Life Debt, uh, I guess we've got the next thing coming up, if it's not out yet, is Lost Stars. And then we'll be jumping back to Legacy again briefly before heading into the Ahsoka novel for an episode to be released in the week after the book is released. So lots of various things going on uh, at different websites. All right. And with that said, this has been Cloud City Casino. And never forget, let the Wookiee win. Unless he's trying to break street date. This party's over.